Well, I'm so excited that uh, Sherry took that step of faith. That's exciting, and uh, we rejoice with her. So you've already heard one message, and uh, I appreciate that. Sherry came into our next steps meeting, which, by the way, we'll have another one in, uh, I believe it'll be March. So, um, and, you know, I'm like, you've been saved for how long? And uh, this was a big step for her, so I really commend her for, for taking that. That is, She had a, a real fear of, uh, of, you know, water baptism and uh, the, the water part of it. So uh, kind of like a phobia. So that she really is trusting the Lord. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> so I just appreciate her, her step of faith and that obedience. And she's kind of a lesson to all of us that, you know, it's never too late, right, to obey the Lord. And so, uh, man, I think I think I appreciate her example, and we're so glad that she's uh, will be a member of HBF. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in the book of Exodus this morning. Uh, we're continuing our study of getting out of Egypt, and uh, what an exciting uh, book this is, and what an apropos thing that we're looking for. Of course, we're looking forward to the day when we're out of this world, but in the meantime, we've got to deal with the things that are in front of us. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you if you're a guest. And, uh, and I don't think we handed out any gift bags, but if you, uh, you can take a Bible that's from the gift. Don't take your neighbor's Bible. Just, you can get one that's in the, in the, in the rack, in the seat, and take that with you. Uh, we'll be in page, uh, 87 in those HBF Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those. We turn to page 87. You know, in, uh, April 17th of 1775, the Battle of Lexington, um, became known as the shot that was heard around the world. And I think most of us, we used to, they used to teach that in school when we were kids. I don't know if they teach that anymore, but, uh, that was a great, that was a great moment in American history because, uh, the War of Independence began in earnest. And 3,000 years before that, there was a declaration of independence, uh, from Pharaoh. And that was a shot that was heard throughout history, and we're still reading about it this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's stand once again, if, if you're able. If not, that's fine. But if you're able to stand, let's stand in honor of God's Word. We're going to read, uh, verses 1 through 3 of this text, and then we're going to get into this message this morning on this war. And this war is a war for worship. Uh, before we jump into verse 1 of chapter 5, let's pick up where we left off last week in chapter 4 and verse 31. I'll go back to verse 29. It says, And Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spake all the words which the Lord had spoken unto Moses and did the sign in the sight of the people. And the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked upon their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. What a beautiful thing. Chapter 5 and verse 1. And afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. And they said, The God of the Hebrews hath met with us. Let us go, we pray thee, three days' journey into the desert and sacrifice unto the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and the the things that we've already witnessed today. We have seen a beautiful uh, baptism, a picture of your death, burial, and resurrection, the obedience of a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've sang wonderful praises to you this morning 
uh, Lord, uh, there's been uh, wonderful Bible classes going on this morning and uh, biblical instructions that believers can live every day have been poured out upon the, the body of Christ already. And as we come to this passage this morning, I pray, God, that you would encourage us in your word, Lord, that you would exhort us in worshiping you, even when there is a ob- uh, obstacle, whenever there is opposition. Heavenly Father, may we be those that can uh, work through that and follow you by faith like you have called the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, because, Lord, uh, you are calling us out. Lord, there's a day when you're going to catch us away. In the meantime, may we be faithful. Lord, may we be uh, fruitful, Lord, and may you be glorified. We thank you and we praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So when Moses uh, discreetly obeyed um, Exodus 3.18 and the infamous, or he informed Pharaoh that God had called Israel to go into the wilderness, This caused some problems for Pharaoh, of course. He says, no, we're not doing that. Uh, They're like, hey, three days feast. That's all we need. And this, in essence, becomes a declaration of independence uh, dismissed by Pharaoh. And so, as you know, it was the first shot of this war for worshiping Jehovah God by the nation of Israel, delivered, of course, by Moses and Aaron. So if you have an outline, we're on our first point of study. Uh, The first point that we have this morning is that the war for worship was declared by Moses and Aaron. And we just read about that in verses 1 through 3. The good news is bad news to those who reject it. When we're in chapter uh, 4, as we read in verse 29 through 31, we see that this news that a deliverer had been brought, you know, that all that fear that we talked about in previous weeks that Moses had, that uh, he was, you know, he's going to come to these people and they're going to reject him. Not the case. They were ready to receive the message. They were ready to receive the deliverer. We just had a great message on that yesterday. Uh, it's most likely that more people are ready to receive the message uh, than we are willing to go out and give it. And so uh, Moses obeyed and God provided. And we see the last verse of chapter 4. They bow their heads, right? They bow their, their heads and they worship God. I mean, they were in contrition. They were thankful. And you know what? What else could you ask for? Ultimately, that's what life is about, is worshiping God, giving ourselves over to God because God gave his self for us. He gave his son. So after that, right, you think, well, man, must be smooth sailing. We're going to get out of this place. And we know how this story goes. Many of you have heard it since you were a child. But there's quite a contrast between chapter 4 and verse 1 and those first three verses that we read in chapter 5. So Israel was glad to hear the news of the Lord's deliverance, but Pharaoh dismissed the nation uh, the, or the notion, I should say, rather, of the Lord's deliverance. To Pharaoh, this was absurd. It was as absurd to Pharaoh as you sharing your testimony with some people today in this world, right? They just think it's nonsense that someone trusts an invisible Jesus or whatever uh, thing that they, they think, that it's just nonsense. And there, there's no uh, inclination that Pharaoh has any um, compunction at all to give them leave. So Pharaoh didn't recognize the Lord because he trusted pagan gods. Before I get into that, point two, Pharaoh was not asking, by the way, a question about the Lord's identity in verse two. Go back and look at verse two. He says, and Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? He wasn't really saying, hey, like, give me a give me a description of Jehovah. Right. Let me let me understand more about your God. What he was saying is, is who is this guy? Who do you think you are? You know, if he was Joe Pesci, he'd say, get out of here. You know, he'd just be like, what are, what are you talking about? So so 
so Pharaoh was not asking a question about the Lord's identity as much as making a statement about the Lord's authority or conversely his authority. He, he didn't he didn't recognize the Lord's authority. And so Pharaoh had no regard for the authority of what was considered uh, the Hebrew God of the Jews. He didn't have anything to do with that. And he believed that his gods that, that uh, he worshipped had dominion over the Jews. And why wouldn't he think that, right? I mean, he did have dominion over the Jews. And, and they, he believed his gods had dominion over the earth at that time. And that these people were serving him. And he was their God because he believed he was a God, small g. And so why would he honor some other God that comes from these slaves when he thinks he's all that in a bag of chips? So point three, Pharaoh didn't recognize the Lord because he trusted in his, in his pagan gods. And in the weeks to come, we'll lay that out. God's going to take through the plagues and just knock one pagan god out after the next. One by one, they're going to topple. Um, but it's not going to happen at this meeting. So Pharaoh trusted in the false authority of Osiris, the fertility god of the Nile. That's one of the gods that he trusted in, uh, more than the god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the god of Moses and Aaron, the god of the Hebrew people. He didn't believe in that god, but he did trust Osiris, this fertility god of the Nile. Pharaoh had more respect for the Nile River than he did the god that created it. And today the same could be said of many pagan environmentalists who push global governance agenda to strip humans of rights and identity even have no problem killing an infant in the womb, and yet will worship the earth and take away your liberty. Why? Well, because it's a religion. They'll strip people of dignity and, and all the while worshiping the earth. They have no more love for the earth than they do for the God who created it. It's Ultimately, it's self-love. It's about authority and power, just like with Pharaoh. It's about who is in charge. And, of course, we know God's in charge. And, and, and by the way, I may have just stepped on some toes and offended some people. I just want you to know, uh, today what environmentalism is, is not your father's or your grandfather's uh, conservation, right? I'm all for conservation. I'm all for, there's, if there's any body that's about stewardship of the earth, it's Christians. And I know, I know all kinds of y'all folks around here, especially out here in Cass County, Henry County, Bates County, uh, if you're from Miami, whatever county, Jackson County, uh, you know, some of you Jackson, I'm from Jackson County. I know we're not as environmentally friendly up north. But anyway, uh, when it comes to conservation, right, you kill, you know how to kill a buck. You know how to run a trout line, right? You know how to do all that stuff. You know how to repopulate the, plant a new tree or whatever. And you know how to rotate crops. I mean, conservation's great. Taking care of the earth and being a good steward's one thing. Um, but worshiping the planet, well, that's a completely different thing, right? And, and so paganism is sweeping across the world right now. Um, and so it's not much different than the way Pharaoh was. It's about authority. It's about power. And it's interesting that, you know, Pharaoh would worship the God of the Nile, but he wouldn't worship the God who really created the Nile. And so Pharaoh also trusted in the false authority of, of Heka, the, the frog-headed goddess of, of Memphis, not, not Memphis, Tennessee, though I'm sure there's some frogs down there. Uh, there I, this was uh, Memphis in Egypt, and one of the large temples was there, and the Egyptians saw that the frog was a holy, uh, a holy creature, and they wouldn't kill a frog. So when we get to that plague, that's going to be problematic. We'll talk about that more later. But the, they, they had respect for the frogs, right? But they didn't have respect for the lives of Hebrew children, especially male children. Right, So they wouldn't kill a frog, 
right? But they would kill a human. So they thought less of God's people than they did that of the frog, which seems crazy, but that's what they believed. Their life was less valuable than a frog. It was almost like those so-called scientists who who taught my generation that an unborn infant was an unviable tissue mass. How many of you remember that in this group? Some of you younger folks don't hear that anymore because it's hogwash. But, yeah, when I, I was brought up, it was always uh, infants in the womb were unviable tissue mass, masses. They were just a clump of cells. They had no identity. They weren't really humans, blah, blah, blah. And, um, and of course, once the electron microscope came out and, and they started studying DNA and then they started getting uh, better, uh, you know, technology for, for sonograms and all of a sudden we start finding out, wow, this is amazing, right, from inception. Uh, this is divine. We shouldn't be tampering with the womb. Now, again, I'm not here to get off on social issues. I'm just kind of painting a picture that the, that the pagan world we live in isn't much different than the, the world that was going on during the time of the nation of Israel. And so they would worship a frog, uh, but they would not, they would not kill a frog, but they would kill a human. Um, and so, uh, today we know a lot more about the human genome, uh, and we understand, uh, that life obviously is precious, which we always knew that if you were a Christian and you had a Bible. Um, and so a lot of that, again, and then if you're lost, by the way, if you don't know Jesus, um, you're all right. We love you. I just, I'm just saying that these are not issues that I'm, I'm, you can have your opinion. But the point is, is that there's some things that are wrong, um, that got to be righted and only God can write them. Only God's the one that does that. And it starts through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts with individuals making decisions, uh, to trust the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I kind of feel like I can talk about some of these things, just so you guys know. There was a time in my life when I was on the other side of the fence on all of this stuff I'll tell you about. I can go right down the line. Israel, abortion, you just go down the line. I was all, you know, women's rights, they should do whatever. I mean, it's, I, guys, when you get saved, God rocks you, man. He changes you. You're a whole new creature. And uh, he changes your mind. Pharaoh also trusted in the false authority of, of Geb, the earth god. And so... Uh, the plagues of lice that come in, 18, in Exodus 8, 16 through 20, we'll get to those later, uh, really turn that on its head for Pharaoh. The Egyptians worship the earth god Geb, but the dust of the land <laughs> becomes lice later on in Exodus. I mean, God really messes that up. And, uh, and so uh, that was sacred. The earth was sacred, and, and, uh, and so uh, that which they held sacred, God made them despise as they were crawling with lice. Pharaoh did not ask, by the way, for that plague to be taken away, and the Egyptian sorcerers could not reproduce that one, that pestilence. So they seemed to have acknowledged that there was a God that was not their God that brought that plague upon them, and that was one of their supreme gods of Egypt. Pharaoh also trusted in the false authority of Kapara, I think is how you pronounce that, K-H-E-P-A-R-A, and that was a weird god, uh, the beetle god. They have a lot more gods than I'm going to share with you. But this insect god was sacred. Uh, I bring it up because he lived in the, dwelt in the, in the uh, tombs of the pharaohs. So they, they felt like this beetle was, was a sacred god. So they, they gave a lot of reverence to this, this beetle god, uh, an insect of all things, because it inhabited the tombs of Ra. And, uh, and so they thought it was, an etern- was eternal just like they were. So they literally, like Romans talks about, they were worshiping the, the creeping things. 
Pharaoh trusted in the false authority of Apis as well. Um, the second largest temple in Egypt was built to this black bull. It was a black bull called Apis. God set a plague of moraine in Exodus 9, 1 through 7. And moraine was a disease that affected cattle. So God turned the, the holy cow into a sick cow. And so today, you know, millions of people to this day worship cows. Uh, many of us have been to India and we've, and we've ministered the gospel among people to this day who hold the cow sacred. And they're worshiping a beast and a creature instead of the creator. Pharaoh trusted in the false authority of, of, and I say this toward the end, because he was all about Ra, the sun god. Now, we're the sons of God, and Jesus Christ is the son of righteousness. Well, he believed he was the offspring of Ra, the sun god. The, the plagues of darkness that come in Exodus 10 turn that upside down. But you guys have probably seen the image with the picture. i got an image up there, the, the disc that's still used this day in pagan religion, even in pagan religions that call themselves Christian. Uh, it's worshiping of the sun god. There's a whole basilica built around this false pagan deity with a fertility symbol right in the middle of it, which I won't get into too much detail about. But there's a lot of this paganism that's very present. It's all been transferred to Babylonian religion and is very present to this day. And so Pharaoh did not know the Lord, Jehovah, the self-existing God, but he knew Ra, the hawk-faced sun god. And he knew Isis, the queen of heaven, and he knew Apis, the sacred bull, and he knew uh, Osiris, the frog-faced god. But the two men who showed up in front of him with a message that the Lord God of heaven has called uh, these people out. Pharaoh, God is telling us to go. We're not asking. We're telling you. Our God says go. And, and you know what Pharaoh says? He says no. Who is your God? I got more gods than you can shake a stick at. What is this monotheism? What are you talking about, your God? Look at all my gods. Go sit down. Pharaoh may have, have missed the weight of Moses' message because Moses omitted Exodus 22 through 23. And I was going to preach this a little differently until I kind of read through the text. I, I don't know exactly why Moses didn't get to chapter 4 and verse 22 through 23. One of the reasons is because, you know, as you read Exodus 4, which we've already covered, God does progressively tell Moses right up front, Moses, uh, Pharaoh is not going to receive your message. And that's exactly what happened. It could be that Moses literally could not have gotten to that part of the message in this conversation because Pharaoh was so quick to say no. But one of the things that, that is, is going on here is that uh, he gets the first part of the message in Exodus 3.18. And we won't turn back there. But if you go back to Exodus 3.18, God did tell Moses, look, when you, can, when you confront Pharaoh and ask him to let him go, tell him you're going to go out for, you need three days journey to go out in the wilderness. That's, that's exactly what God told Moses to say. And Moses said that when you get to Exodus chapter four, as he's continuing to talk about this and, and encouraging Moses as Moses is asked to leave to go and, and actually go confront Pharaoh. God does bring up in chapter four in verse 22, and it says, and thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, let my son go that he may serve me, and if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. And I don't know uh, what's recorded in the scripture. It doesn't say that that was said to Pharaoh. And maybe it was, and it's not there. I mean, God, can, he reserves the right. But if it wasn't said, I think that's one of the reasons Pharaoh may have missed the, the point. He wouldn't have believed it anyway. We know that because God already said his heart's going to be hard. 
But when you think about the weight of chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, it really wasn't just about, hey, this is some social cause. My people need some rest. They need to go out and have a little worship service. No, it wasn't just about that. God was taking into account the sin of Pharaoh and the Pharaohs before him that had taken his children, his son Israel, Exodus chapter 4, right? He is my son. And in Israel as a nation, like we're individually sons of God, God looked at Israel as a son. He's like, you're abusing my son. And if you don't stop abusing my son, if you don't let my son go, you're going to lose your son. And God meant what he said. And the message did get across to Pharaoh, by the way. By the time you get to Exodus chapter 11 uh, and verse 5. Uh, whether it was verbalized or not, it was executed, and, and that's exactly what happened. Pharaoh lost his son. But God's patient. Moses was a faithful man. He delivered the message of Exodus 3.18. And, and in all this time, um, in Exodus chapter 5, 1 through 3, it just this, this last part from chapter 4 never shows up for whatever reason. I don't think Pharaoh would have changed his tenor. I don't think he'd have changed his mind. And I don't think that's necessary, so it's probably not that big of a deal. But, uh, but I do, I do think that that the for us we understand the weight of what God was was trying to get across. One of the things that, that Pharaoh that I that I do find peculiar, and I actually can identify with a little bit, and I, I don't know why it's it's actually in here. I didn't find anywhere where God said that He was wanting to smite His people or kill them. Look, look at the text again in Exodus 5 and verse 3. As, as Moses is, you know, responding probably to not just the words of Pharaoh, but he's, Moses has been around a while. He's 80 years old. He knows people. He's looking at his face and he's checking out the response and he's like, okay, I'm gonna, I gotta answer him. Uh, he doesn't back off. He doesn't say, well, excuse me. He just says, and they said, the God of the Hebrews hath met with us. I'm gonna say this again, Pharaoh. The God, our God has met with us. We don't have an option here. Let us go. Very direct. We pray thee. We're, we're asking you respectfully. We're asking you for, for leave. Three days journey into the desert, uh, and sacrifice unto the Lord our God. Semicolon. Now, uh, you get to that point, and I think that, that I, okay, that's exactly what God said in Exodus 3.18. And then he says this last part of the sentence. He goes, lest he fall upon us, with pestilence or with a sword. And I, I look at that passage and I'm like, well, I don't, I mean, obviously God was, he did discipline his children, especially once they were in the wilderness. But at this point, he's really there to deliver the kids, not to, not to, to beat them with, you know, they're already under bondage. Uh, obviously they need to obey. And so I wondered in my heart, I'm like, what's, what's Moses trying to do here? I mean, make his people look even weaker before Pharaoh? Is he kind of copping out? But I don't think Moses is that kind of guy. He's a good guy. Um, I think what he was trying, and I don't know. I'm, this is so. I'll tell you when I know, and I and I and I and I don't know right why. I can ask Moses here in the future when I get to see him. But um, but I think what he was trying to do is say, Hey Pharaoh, listen. If you don't let us go, your workforce is going to be decimated. And, of course, that actually isn't the case at all. His force wasn't going to be decimated. I think he was probably, I think, he was probably appealing to Pharaoh's greed. And he had a good reason. As we go down the rest of this chapter, you'll see why. Because Pharaoh was all about getting his production 
out of these people. And of all the people that would have known that, growing up in Pharaoh's house, Moses would have understood how those people were viewed by Pharaoh's. And so he says, hey, hey, if you don't let us go, man, God, God, our God, will, he'll, man, he'll, he'll plague us. He'll kill us with the sword. He'll, I mean, we're going to be a weaker group of people. And of course, Pharaoh's like, your God ain't nothing. That's what he thinks. And so I can imagine that the policy of killing the Jewish male children finally coming to roost on Pharaoh. Later on, when Pharaoh finally gets to this point and the message comes down, what it was like. You know, we'll never know how Pharaoh would have taken the news from Moses if he would have dropped, if he'd have just said, instead of that, you know what, God's going to, I just wonder in my, my, my imagination, what, what, after that semicolon, what if he would have said, and by the way, Pharaoh, God's coming for you. And if you don't let us go, your firstborn son's going to die. I don't know if Pharaoh would have taken a sword out and lopped his head off. I don't really know what was what would have happened, but uh, I'll never know. But I do know this. When we get to Exodus 11 and verse 5, it says, All the firstborn of the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon his throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and the firstborn of beasts. And there shall be a great cry throughout all the land of Egypt, such as there was none like like it nor shall be like it anymore so we don't we we will never know how pharaoh would have taken the news from moses right up front if he had dropped that truth bomb but we know that eventually the message gets across and i can only imagine uh, the policy of the killing the jewish male children finally came home into the heart of pharaoh which was hard as rock when he heard the wailing of his servants coming in crying not only about his firstborn dying but their firstborn dying Could you imagine that? The pain, the suffering? Some of you can. You know, some of you can. Some of you, I was just thinking about uh, Toby Mack is a a Christian artist guy. He sings a lot of songs. His son died of fentanyl overdose. Firstborn son in 2019. That's hard. It's hard. When I was a young man, there was a preacher. His name was Mel Sabaki. He came through our church. Older fella, World War II generation. One of the stories he told when I was just a young Christian really gripped my heart. I still remember to this day. Very personal message. Uh, And so he gets up in the pulpit and he's preaching and he's talking about God getting a hold of your heart. And as he tells this story about God getting a hold of his heart, he talks about how God took his little infant child just to get a hold of his heart. And he's very graphic about standing at the graveside and putting the dirt on that casket. And, you know, he just, just really... Man, I mean, I'm just sitting there like melting in my seat just thinking about the impact of losing your child. And in this case, this isn't my testimony. This was Mel Sabaka's. That's what had to happen for God to get his attention to say, hey, listen, I mean business with you, son. Man, God is a good God, but he shouldn't be trifled with. And so I tell you what, we need to take his command seriously. Point B, delivering the bad news makes the good news even sweeter. About this time, you need a little sweeter. I'm kind of, it's kind of heavy in the house, man. So delivering the bad news makes the good news even sweeter. Now, I'm not going to get to a lot of the good news in this chapter this morning. We'll get to it as we roll. But in this wicked and perverse world, it's important that we don't soft sell the gospel. You know why? Because God hates sin. He loves sinners. He loves sinners. He died on the cross for sinners. But God hates sin. 
That's why it was so painful for him to give his only begotten son, his firstborn. I mean, that's why it's so heavy. God knows what it is to give a son. He knows what he's going to do. And too often we want to talk about the love of God. And we should talk about the love of God. But don't omit the wrath of God. As many of you know, this preacher got saved, not not just because of the love of God. I was like Pharaoh. My heart was hard. I scoffed at the love of God. But when someone brought me the wrath of God, Revelation 19, the book of Daniel, chapter nine, and I'm looking at that as a lost sinner dog, someone who doesn't understand the Bible, someone who doesn't believe the Bible. I open up Revelation chapter 19. I see people hiding in the rocks and I all of a sudden realize that that is me. What was I looking at? The wrath of God. If I'd have never heard that side of the story, I don't know that I'd have gotten saved. Now, I think, obviously, when people are tender-hearted, you don't have to major on the wrath of God. Why? Because they already know they're sinners. A sinner knows they're a sinner. They just won't admit it, you know. And some people are so self-righteous, self-deceived, that they really don't believe that they are sinners. And they compare themselves with themselves or other people, always looking for another standard, you know, always so they can continue to be just as self-righteous as any Pharisee. They might not have even stepped in the door of a church, but at least I'm not that bad. No, you're that bad and worse. Given, given to our, if we're left to ourselves in our flesh, we can be as bad as anybody else. But man, I tell you what, sometimes once you get self-righteous and your heart gets hard and you get religious, and you start lining up the gods. You got the God of this. You got the God of education. You got the God of your job. You got the God of wealthy and uh, wealth and finance. You got the God of, of uh, status. You got the God of this. You got the God of that. And you start compiling all these gods. And, and the more gods you get, the less room you have in your heart for the God that you can't see and the God that you don't know and the God that you don't really want to know. And you can pile all these gods up and you get all this stuff in your heart and there's no more room for God. So sometimes God has to bring a preacher in like Moses or somebody with the Bible and just bust up the heart like a, like a rod of iron, just crushing the rock of your heart. And he does that, beloved, through the wrath of God. Oh, that is not popular in our culture. But if there's ever a time that people need to wake up And look around and realize that if you continue in sin, thinking that grace may abound, God forbid. Not just out. I'm not even talking outside the church. We expect lost people to act lost. But saved people need to take God's word seriously because God is no joke. And you know what? The consequences on people who don't know Jesus, it's no joke either. Going along to get along is not loving people. Letting people know, look. God loves you and his wrath abides on you. If you don't repent, man, the day's coming. And it's coming. People like me needed to hear that. I needed to see that. And man, that helped me really grasp the love of God. When I saw how angry God was over sin, then I all of a sudden realized, oh, oh, now I get the sacrifice on the cross. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. And I was ready to get saved. March 25th, 1987. So Paul said, he said it this way in Acts 20 and verse 27. He said, Whereunto I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Paul had a clear conscience before God in the sight of men. Why? Because he told them everything God told him to say. 
And I was reading this passage on Moses, and I was looking at that last part of that sentence, and I don't know anything about why Moses said that, right or wrong or indifferent. It's in the Word of God. It is what it is. It's all fine. God worked it all out. But I just know in a devotional sense in my life, man, I'm like, God, give me the grace to say what needs to be said, the way it needs to be said, when it needs to be said. No more, no less. Because, man, it's so important today that we give the whole counsel, all the counsel of God. What does God want people to know? The great white throne judgment is coming. And when Nero looks up and he sees Paul standing next to Jesus before he he is cast in the lake of fire, he won't be able to say, you know, Paul, you never told me. Right now, Nero is in hell rooting for for us to preach the message so souls are not bound like he is in eternity to be cast into a lake of fire at the great white throne judgment. There is a wrath to come. And people need to be aware of that. This nation, as a matter of fact, before there was a shot heard around the world, there was messages preached by men like they didn't really. They were sorting out this issue of uh, of sovereignty and the, the ability of individuals to call upon the name of the Lord. They were coming to an understanding. They had churches full of self-righteous people, people that were born Christians and, and, and trying to be members of the church to be saved. Works based salvation. And they realized the church was dead. People's souls were dead. The morality was dead. People were not getting where they needed to go with God. And they preached messages like sinners in the hands of an angry God and and God would set in on the people's hearts and there would be a genuine Holy Ghost revival. It wasn't just the, the entertainment factor of the preacher. It wasn't, it wasn't some uh, environmental uh, issue of, of the congregational lights and the smoke and all the stuff going on in the room. It was a legitimate movement of God. He would come down and he would speak with authority and he would let people know in their heart with the Word of God and the Spirit of God that they were on the precipice of destruction if they did not receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And it was serious and it was sober and it changed people's lives. And revival started breaking out. And all across the, this land, people that were not godly people become godly. And godless people like George Franklin uh, or uh, Benjamin Franklin, uh, when George Whitfield would preach, they'd walk up the streets in like Boston and they're like, man, the bars are closing down. People that used to be in the bar are now in their house singing hymns. The whole culture is changing. There is something happening here. It was called the Great Awakening. Because God's wrath was known and his grace was known and his, and his love was known and people received the goodness of God because it, it became so sweet. They realized they needed something to govern them. King George wasn't getting it done. Their own government, their own will, their own wisdom wasn't getting it done. What was going to get it done? The God of heaven, the same God that Moses was, was bringing to Pharaoh, the same God from Genesis to Revelation. It's that God. It is Jesus Christ. And beloved, that is what every soul needs. That's what every nation needs. That is what that is what the world needs to have right now is Jesus Christ. And there's so many false Christs. There's so many other gods crowding him out. Beloved, listen, you've got the one true God. You know Jesus Christ if you're born again. And you've got the whole counsel of God, especially in this church. Genesis, the revelation, we will sit you down. We will teach you. We will give you what you need in the word of God so you can grow So we can get this message where it needs to go. Because God wants to save everybody. He died on the cross for this world. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. The act of worship will occur. Even when Pharaoh says no. It's still going to occur. Like Joshua said, as for me and my house, right? We all went through the pandemic. 
I know a lot of you in this in this house are just like at my house. You can say no, but I'm still going to go, right? Well, I'm going to go what? I'm going to go worship. I'm going to worship here. I'm going to worship in my house. I'm not going to stop worshiping the God of heaven. Why? Because he said go. Go. Do you know God loves you? Do you know Jesus died on the cross for you? Do you know that those that reject the love of God will face wrath? The wrath of God? And do you know that God's provided a way to escape even before you were born? Will you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved? I don't know who I'm talking to. Maybe you're online, maybe you're in the house. But if you're here and you're not, you're not born again, God wants you to be saved. He wants to spare you. Beloved, there is a war for worship. There's a war for worship. And many are losing it right now because their hearts are as hard as Pharaoh's. So the war for worship was declared by Moses and Aaron, but the war for worship was dismissed by Pharaoh. He's like, there's no threat. Don't worry about it. I hear that a lot. The war for worship was dismissed by Pharaoh. Pharaoh, he, 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 Pharaoh dismissed the message and the messengers of God. Pharaoh wants to know who called the labor relations board and petitioned this workers, this workers strike. What do you, who are you, who do you guys think you are? In Exodus 5, 3, Moses appealed to Pharaoh's greed, as I've already mentioned, and Moses could have cared less about letting the people go and the wishes of God or the wishes of Moses or the wishes of the people. So Pharaoh asked the second question, as we already saw, uh, or his first question was, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? So now he asks the second question in verse 4. He says, and the king of Egypt said, wherefore do ye, Moses and Aaron, let the people from their works get you under your burdens? So now you see he dismisses the messenger. Who called you in here to talk to me? What, who are you talking to? He's saying to, to Moses and Aaron. You go back to work. Where, where are you? Go, you go back to go back to work, man. What are you doing talking to me? Get out of here. In essence, Pharaoh says that, that you're 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 wasting my time here. Who gave you permission to meet with these Hebrews? By the way, what are you doing up here worshiping with Hebrews? Who, who gave you? What are you doing? You're stirring these people up. Go back to work. Get back to work. Return to your to your burdens, Moses. Like Hitler in the Holocaust, uh, Pharaoh had no regard, no regard for the nation of Israel or the people of Israel. You think, how dark can it get? Well, we only have to rewind the tape, you know, less than 100 years to see how bad it gets. Pharaoh places business before the Lord. In verses 5 through 9, he says, And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land now are many, and you make them rest from their burdens. And Pharaoh commanded the same day that the the taskmakers of the people and their officers, saying, You shall no more give the people straw to make brick as heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. They want to go somewhere? Let them go look for straw because we're not going to give them anymore. And he says the tail, right, like the tail of the tape in boxing, the measure, the tail of the bricks, which they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them. Their production needs to stay the same, even though they don't have the resources. And ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for, for they be idle. Evidently, they don't have enough work to do. Therefore, they cry, saying, let us go and sacrifice unto our God. Let therefore, uh, let their more work, uh, I'm sorry, let their more work be laid upon the men that they may labor therein and let them not regard vain 
words. Their words are empty. Those guys are listening to these two jokers here, Moses and Aaron. What are they doing? Don't they know I'm in charge? Evidently, they don't have enough work. They don't have enough work to do. And uh, so we'll just strip their materials down. They got to go collect their own materials and still keep their quotas. That'll take care of them. So there's two things that the world and the flesh and the devil will utilize to keep you and me from worshiping. Labor. Now, here in the United States, this really isn't that big of a deal. But in many places around the world to this day, worshiping the Lord on the first day of the week, for instance, like we do, is exceedingly difficult or hard because Sunday is not recognized as a day of worship. There's a lot of places they don't get Sundays off. Right. So it's a little bit more difficult. It's not sanctified in their culture. We're blessed that it is. We can get two days off, right? In India, Sundays are sanctified by Christians, but the Hindu typically observes the Sabbath. And so if they observe any day at all, right, some of them don't observe any day, but they have a, a law. Well, you can kind of, because there's so many religions, you can observe any day. But typically, the Christian Sunday is not, it's a work day. If, you, if you've ever been over there during church services, I mean, the world doesn't stop on Sunday morning at all. It's just another day for most of those folks. And so you just worship the Lord. I've been in countries and, you know, uh, they work the people so hard. I mean, they literally, their days are over 12 hours a day. Their social time is late into the night. I mean, they sleep a little bit of sleep. I mean, it's, it's just labor it does affect uh, your ability to have leisure, right? <clears throat> and so um, forget making a midweek service. It's interesting, though, even in our culture, how things have changed. I was thinking about this as I was preparing this. When we started Heartland, we used to meet on Tuesday nights. <clears throat> and as soon as we moved into the building, which is 2007, we moved Tuesday night to Wednesday night. You know why? Because that was the standard time for most churches to meet midweek in the United States. And it was midweek. And so instead of staying on Tuesday night, which worked, it worked really good for us, for me personally, but it, it, and it helped us, you know, people can come to Tuesday night because when I started here in Harrisonville, a lot of people still went to church midweek. So Tuesday night was an off night, so you can come check us out type of thing. It was kind of strategic. But anyway, so we get in the building, we move to, to Wednesday nights, <clears throat> and um, it wasn't long. When we did that, one of the benefits to it was the school systems, uh, not just in CAS, but, you know, really just in this part of the country, they did not schedule. This was only in 2007. Wednesday night was sanctified. It was just kind of known. Churches meet on Wednesday night. Uh, we just don't schedule games. We don't schedule, you know, they may have practice, but you get out of school. How many of you remember those days? Wednesdays were sanctified. You young people don't know that. My kids don't know that. Because since 2007, Wednesday nights are on. And if your kid plays a sport like soccer, that's one of the things I hate about soccer. Man, they, I think soccer hates Sundays. They schedule every, they want to schedule their games Sunday morning. I mean, like that is the best time in the world because it's, it must be a pagan sport like football. Uh, but, uh, at any rate, our leisure encroaches on our worship time, our pleasure. But even, even in our society, I've seen a shift just in 15 years. Wednesday nights, church night, what is that? Schools don't care. Nobody cares. As a matter of fact, most Christians don't care. So if the, if, if the devil doesn't get you with work... Well, this is really what he tries to get us with. It's leisure. If it's not labor, you know, just dominating your time 24-7 so you can't breathe and your every waking moment is dealing with labor, right, which, which that is a reality for some people. 
Um, maybe because they're chasing a dollar, maybe because they're behind, whatever the case, but whatever, labor. He will dominate your life with labor. Men are given to wanting to labor and to being successful in that, so sometimes we allow that to happen. Conversely, we get to the point of leisure, which is more what an American is dealing with most of the time. The opposite of the Orwellian oppressive labor, right, is the vanity fair that you read about, you know, in the Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan writes about that, right? It's just as you're really getting ready to get to that that celestial city, man, something comes along called Vanity Fair, and it just takes you away. I mean, it's so fun. It's so engaging. It's so stimulating, man. I mean, it's just like, wow. <clears throat> it's like heaven before you get to heaven. How many, of a, how many uh, immigrants come to this country? And you know what they say? It's like heaven. Unless you're in L.A., Chicago, or New York. But anyway... It's like heaven. Why? Because it it is. It's very nice. A lot of it's vanity, though. Beloved, we got to be wiser than that. If Satan cannot oppress you to keep you from worshiping God, he will bless you so you don't worship God. You know, favor will eventually begin to capitulate to some of the, uh, in some degree, to the attempt to maintain control of the people. Eventually, he has to start capitulating to Moses because God starts to press on him and he has to start letting go of his authority uh, or he's going to lose him completely. <clears throat> we, we should not be ignorant of Satan's devices. We are to place worship of Jesus as the very first priority in our lives as Christians. And I don't just mean Sunday morning. I mean every day of our life. I, I know what it's like. Again, I, I wasn't always a preacher. I didn't come up out of Bible college and become a preacher. I, I worked a real job, too. And I know what it was my first my first weekend at Fagan, man. I'm doing takeoff on the turkey plant in Sedalia and I've got a ball game scheduled. I'm a coach at the church, you know, and I'm like, oh, oh, what am I going to do? And I had I ended up missing that game because it was my first day on the job. I hadn't even had a wasn't Monday. It was Saturday. I got hired on this week. They said, come in Saturday. We're going to put you to work. And then I got to start my first week the next Monday. I walk out in the shop floor. I said, hey, Larry, Larry Martell was the guy's name. Uh, it's one o'clock. I've got to go. And if this is what my job's going to be every week, I'm sorry. I don't know that I'm going to be able to do this. I will work overtime throughout the week. And God knows, Amy knows, I worked a lot of overtime. But I'm not going to do this on Saturdays. I'm a baseball coach. And when I said that, guys, I, I, was, I, w- I needed that job. I didn't say that because I was loaded with cash and had a backup plan. And I'm not trying to brag about But I just know how it is. There's times in your life you've got to decide, who am I going to worship? What path am I going to take? And thank God Larry Martell was respectful of that. And he also took me up on working plenty of overtime. But the, they, but, but the point is this, is that you've got you to you you let people know where your priorities lie. And if you're gracious, oftentimes they're not going to respond like Pharaoh. Larry was gracious. He's like, oh, I get it. Okay. And, uh, and so, you know. And I'm all about, and I did, and you got to, conversely, you got to work when it's time to work, right? You don't, don't sit down on the job. <clears throat> but you got to be wise about those things, and, you, and we have to establish the, the, the priority of worship in our life, in our work world, and our leisure as well. Notice how fast Pharaoh moves to make this, this issue uh, happen, to oppress the people, right? He, he doesn't wait immediately. <clears throat> he goes in, in verse 9, look down in verse 9, it says, 
he says, let their more work be laid upon the men that they may labor therein and let them not regard vain words. And he, that day, I'm missing the reference there, but oh, down in verse six, and Pharaoh commanded the same day that the taskmasters of the people and the officers saying, and then he gets into, hey, lay more bricks on them and all those things that we read. He doesn't wait. He jumps right on it. Point B, Pharaoh disrespects God. Uh, In verse 9, he calls the words vain words, as we've already seen. And just like Jesus, we know that uh, we should not expect the world to to give us any better treatment than they gave Jesus. In John 15, 18, Jesus said that if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. Pharaoh also discouraged God's people. In verse 7, it says, And ye shall no more give the people straw to make brick heretofore. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. And the tale of the bricks, which they, they did make heretofore, ye shall lay upon them, and ye shall not diminish aught thereof, for they be idle. Therefore they cry, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let their, uh, let their uh, more work be laid upon them. And he goes on down in verse 11. He says, Go ye get the straw. <laughs> go get straw where you can find it. And yet not of your work uh, shall be diminished. Verse 12. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt. To gather stubble instead of straw. And the taskmasters hasted uh, them, saying, Fulfill your work as your daily task, as when you, and there was straw, right? No lack in production. The officers of the children of Israel, which Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and demanded, Wherefore have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today, as heretofore? Oh, this is terrible. Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried unto Pharaoh, saying, Wherefore dealest thou uh, thus with thy servants? What has changed? Why are you treating us this way? Was there no straw? Uh, there is no straw given unto thy servants. And they say to us, Make brick. And behold, th- thy servants are beaten. But the fault is thine own people. But he said, Ye are idle. Ye are idle. Therefore ye say, Let us go and do sacrifice to the Lord. Go therefore now and work. For there shall no straw be given you. Yet ye shall deliver the tale of bricks. Verse 19, and the officers of the children of Israel did see that there were that they were an evil case. And after it was said, ye shall not diminish aught from your bricks of your daily tasks. You see, Pharaoh made sure production quotas were up while supplies were down. And that was simply a power play on his part because he wanted them to know that he was God instead of their God. It also shows Pharaoh's arrogance and insecurity. It's interesting that, that this is the first mention, by the way, in verse 12 of the word stubble in the Bible. The last mention of the word stubble is found in, in, in 1 Corinthians 3.11. Many of you are familiar with this. It says, For other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You see, what, what Pharaoh didn't know is he was removing the, 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 the stubble and the hay as God was putting those people in a fire. And he was trying them. We'll get to that next week. But you know what? We need to make sure that we don't invest in wood, hay, and stubble. God, God can't work with stubble, and the children of Israel couldn't either. They're trying to build something with stubble. They didn't even have the right materials. They're like, we can't do our job with this material. Beloved, I can tell you today, there's many Christians, uh, maybe in our congregation, maybe in this country, maybe in this world, that the Holy Spirit of God is inside of them. He's just begging, would you bring me the materials that I'm asking for? 
I want you to buy of me gold tried in the fire. I want to furnish this tabernacle, man. I want to build it with the materials that I've ordered. But all you're giving me is wood, hay, and stubble. Give God what he wants. He's not Pharaoh. He's not a bad God. He's not trying to hold out on you. All he's asking is you put him first. The first day of the week, worship him. The first fruits of your increase, give it to him. Your life, put it on the altar for him. Why? Because he's worthy. He's such a good God. Pharaoh is not going to treat you like that. There's so many people in this life, man. They're going to get to heaven and realize, oh, I've been duped. I've been working in Egypt all these years and everything I have is wood, hay and stubble. And I ignored Revelation chapter three. I should have anointed my eyes with ISAB that I could see. I should have listened to the word of God. I should have lived what the Bible said because this temple is not nearly as furnished as it needs to be. The only time you get to make those decisions, beloved, it's not an eternity future. It's not in the millennium, beloved. It is right now. Now is the time to take these things into account. We need to have realistic expectations. This world is not our home. They will not honor your God the way you do. And you know what? I got to be honest with you, beloved. In this life right now that we're living, I'm not talking about history and I'm not talking about prophecy. I'm talking about today. Things could get worse before they get better. And if there's a lesson that you can learn from the nation of Israel at this time in their life is don't doubt God. Don't doubt God under oppression because God is the deliverer of the oppressed. We need to have a realistic expectation. You know, Jim Collins wrote a book called Good to Great. I mean, some of you probably know that book. It's a real big seller. <clears throat> but in this case, if I was writing a book, if Moses, I was going to write a book on this chapter, it'd be like bad to worse. Sometimes as Christians, you feel like, man, my life has gone from bad to worse. Bad to worse. When things go from bad to worse, you feel like God has abandoned you because, well, you've been dismissed by principalities and powers and spiritual authorities seem to rule over you. And when that happens, you've got to remember Romans 13, that those powers are there because God's allowed them. They'd bear not the sword in vain, continue to do what's right, even if they do what's wrong. And God will eventually judge them because there's a war for worship. The war for worship was declared by Moses and Aaron. The war for worship was dismissed by Pharaoh. And lastly, the war for worship was a disappointment to the children of Israel. The worst possible last point you could end on, but that's where I'm going to end this morning. Exodus 5.19, and, and the officers of the children of Israel did see that they were in evil, an evil case after they said, Ye shall minish aught from your bricks of your daily task. And they met Moses and Aaron, who stood in the way as they came from Pharaoh and they said unto them, the Lord look unto you and judge because ye have made our savor, uh, save, <clears throat> our savor to be aboard in the eyes of Pharaoh, in the eyes of the servants, to put a sword in their hand to slay us. Point A, God, uh, good news travels fast, but bad news travels faster. I mean, uh, evidently they're down in Goshen, which is where the Jews dwelled. <clears throat> and uh, Moses and Aaron are up in the northern part of Egypt or wherever they are talking to Pharaoh. And before, before, before Moses and Aaron can make it back to, to their homeland or where their people are, the news has already traveled. They've already been oppressed, and they come to, and they're waiting on them. They're like, hey, 
What, did you, what kind of trouble did you get us into? What is your problem, man? We are hurting down here. Moses and Aaron hadn't made, made it even back to Goshen before these people were under oppression. Have you, ever faced a, have, ever, have you ever faced disappointment because you feel like God's promises didn't pay off? I mean, you put all your eggs in his basket, and now all of a sudden you feel like, man, that didn't work. I think we've all probably been there a time or two. You know what we have is unmet expectations. And it leaves us feeling God's judgment should abide on God's servants instead of our enemies. And we start turning on one another instead of worshiping the one true God. Now, that isn't happening here. Praise God. We're in a good place. Just celebrate the Lord's Supper. Everything's good. But when people, when, there, when it gets tough and oppression comes, you've got to really fight for unity. And the Pharaoh did a good job here. He's already got these guys at each other. But I want you to notice how Moses responds. He does the right thing. I mean, the, he understands, Romans 13, that these leaders don't bear the sword in vain. Right? It says in, in Romans 13, verse 3, For rulers are not a terror to good works. But to evil, wilt thou then be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he that is a minister of God to thee for good. But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. You say, yeah, but Brian, that's very clear that it's dealing with the principalities and powers that are just. The rewarder of good, not evil. But these, this, this guy, is re, he's rewarding evil to good. Exactly. And God will judge him. You're in the middle of a war. When a war's going on, you don't know how it's going to end. You just got to survive. And one of the keys of survival is hooking up arms with the guy right next to you in your foxhole and taking care of the next guy. Beloved, unity is the key. And Moses, being a leader and an officer, understands this. Notice the officer meets with the officer. <laughs> the commanding officer shows up and the officer, they keep rank. It's obvious under all this oppression for hundreds of years, almost 400 years, they've been able to keep rank as a nation, as a family, as a group. They kept their self in order. They did things decently and in order. And so Moses shows up and, and, he, and he hears this and it's like, wow, this is heavy. The only time we should be afraid of the sword is if we've done evil. If you've done that which is right and the sword is used unjustly against you, well, guess what? That, that evil's on them, not on you. And God will take care of it, and you can go to heaven. Point B, the way of worship can be confusing. <clears throat> the war, I'm sorry, the war for worship can be confusing when things don't turn out as we planned. Beloved, there are just times in our life where we, man, we know what God says, and we want to fulfill that, and that's exactly where Israel's at in chapter 5. And yet, when they do what God says, it just doesn't seem to work. And boy, that's when you're tempted to just check out on God. But you know what? Look what Moses does in verse 22. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Lord, wherefore hast thou so evilly entreated this people? Why is it thou hast sent me? I mean, what am I doing here, Lord? I'm messing them up. I'm not helping them. For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in thy name, he hath done evil to this people. Neither, <clears throat> um, neither hast thou delivered thy people at all. I'm writing a book, God, bad to worse. I'm preaching this gospel. God, people's lives should be changing, but it looks like they're getting worse. What's going on, God? What's going on, God? And God's like, hey, just, just, just wait. We'll get to that next week. Just wait, Moses. I'm fixing to do something. Moses goes the right direction with his question. He didn't turn on them and say, well, you guys aren't godly enough. You need to work harder. 
It's not my fault. He takes responsibility and then he turns right to the only one that can help him. He said, Lord, what's going on, man? Because I am I don't feel like I'm any help here at all. Moses was learning that the war for worship was about the portion of the message that he omitted in Exodus chapter 4, verses 22 through 23. Why? I'm glad you're asking because I'm almost done. This was about a firstborn child. What was all this going on for? Why was there so much? Why didn't it just work? Why didn't it? Why wasn't Moses's or why wasn't Pharaoh's heart softer? Why didn't my words have effect? Why did it just go like like putting gas on a fire and it just got worse for my people? What's what is going on? A war for worship. It's about a firstborn son, not just Israel. You guys are familiar at Christmas time. We like to quote Isaiah chapter nine, but in Isaiah chapter nine and verse five, if you back up a few verses, it says that every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. But this shall be with burning and fuel of fire for unto us. A child is born unto us. A son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and his peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Moses had stepped right into a a battle that was bigger than he could have ever imagined. This was not just about the the boys, the the, the male children that were cast into the Nile, which that was wicked enough. It wasn't just about Moses being a lawgiver that was delivered and and giving the law to the nation of Israel, though that's an incredible thing that God's going to use. Because from Shiloh, from the tribe of Judah, it's already been written in Genesis chapter 49. There's going to come forth this one that's going to free Israel and he's going to have a scepter in his hand. He's going to be the king. And we know from looking back, that's going to be King David's offspring. And that is going to be Jesus Christ. Now, they don't know all of that. Just like we don't know everything that's going to happen in the future. But I can I can tell you this, beloved. When you're in the middle of the battle and you know you've done what's right and you're doing what's right and you look and you're like, God, it seems like what I'm doing is right. It seems like what it is is biblical. It's I'm going the right way. I'm doing what you said, but it doesn't look like it's working. What's going on? You're right where you need to be. You're in a real battle. A battle for the firstborn. Because Jesus Christ has already died on the cross. He's already given his life. And he has already won. And beloved, your job is just simply to keep declaring the victory. You're free! You're free! You're free! Jesus has already died. He's already paid the price. It doesn't matter. Who cares about your gods? Come to Jesus. You keep proclaiming that message, man. It'll it'll turn the world upside down. So God is not the author of confusion. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says that. For God is not the author of confusion, but peace as in all the churches of the saints. So when the war for worship rocks your world, remember God is not the author of confusion, but authority over all the circumstances we face. When you get bad news that disappoints or even devastates you, don't run from God. Don't turn on your brother. 
Return to God and worship yourself. Lay down your life and give it to him. And next week, you'll see God answer this question that Moses is posing. But today, God wants us to be awake to the reality that God is calling us out of Egypt because we've already won the war for worship, even if your circumstances don't make you feel like it. Believe what God has said. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a winner. I'm a winner. Yeah, let's act like we're in the black church. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a winner. (laughs) All right, I'm a winner. Let's stand up together and we'll have a word of prayer if you can stand. Heavenly Father, thank you so much this morning. If these folks are saved, and I know many of them and most of them profess that they are, they are winners. Lord, today we're praying for a team to win, but win or lose, Lord, we know that we're winners. Because God is good and he is large and in charge. No matter what circumstances bring, no matter what happens, Lord, give us the grace to turn to you and not to turn on one another. Lord, if there is oppression and confusion of battle, help us to remember, Lord, you're not the author of confusion. This is about a battle for the firstborn, and the firstborn is the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your son on the cross and giving us that victory. Thank you for raising him from the dead on that third day. Thank you for delivering us from the wrath to come. And, Lord, help us to go out and proclaim the victory no matter what happens because, Lord, we have the greatest victory. We thank you and we praise you and we ask this in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody look